We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Usaid Cultural. We are recording this episode on a Tuesday here, June 20th, and uh, well, we are officially in the off-season period, say where the Bears players, they finish up their minicamp workouts, they are on to their summer break, so to speak, uh, before training camp in about just over a month. So we're in that time of the year where we really hope we, that we're not getting any news from uh, the Bears, because if there's any news going on at this time of the year, it's it's usually bad news. But uh, before we get into today's episode, which we're going to be recapping um, all the storylines that were going on at Bears minicamp last week, uh, you say it. How you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. You're right. It's interesting because you mentioned Bears news and there's not I mean, there's some stuff that's out there that we'll get into in a moment, but you're also in the period of the off season where you really don't want to get any news and it's going to be incredibly quiet. I guess the only news we would want to hear is the Bears signing a pass rusher of some sort. And for all the fans out there that are just clamoring for this team to go ahead and sign someone, we hear you guys on it. Our concerns are the exact same, although a bit different considering the circumstances of this team and just don't forget, I said this on Twitter a couple days ago. I will say it again. The Bears added Riley Reef and Michael Schofield to the offensive line last year, literally a day before training camp started or on report day. So don't stress yourself out over this team not adding a pass rusher over the next six to eight weeks. Yeah, there's still uh, plenty of time to address that. And I think we've covered it quite a bit. So, I mean, we don't have to get into the weeds of that again for this podcast because we got quite a bit to discuss today. And I guess if there's one storyline that's been going around Bears Twitter especially um, that's been kind of, from my perspective, kind of annoying that we're going over this this time. But, like, it's that time of the year where, like, there's nothing to talk about. So we're just finding stuff um, to discuss here. 
um, at least from a Bears Twitter standpoint. And that's the whole Chase Claypool storyline. So for those who have been following, so um, Sylvie, um, I guess like threw a nugget out there. I forgot. I think it was on like a podcast or something um, or a radio show or something where he, he threw it out there that uh, the Bears have been disappointed with uh, Chase Claypool, that, you know, work ethic, commitment, all that stuff is not, you know, up to their standard, which, um, you know, is not the first time that I've heard of rumors surrounding Chase Claypool, you know, not being, I, I, I guess the Bears organization, like not being like super high on Chase Claypool, what he's done since uh, being traded for. Um, and the rap on him in, in Pittsburgh and even going back to Notre Dame was that, you know, on-field commitment, work ethic, um, his focus towards the game has not been particularly great. Um, that's probably one reason why Pittsburgh was looking to trade him when they did last year. But with that said, I find the timing of this to be very interesting and kind of silly because the reason why I think this all came out was because Chase Claypool didn't really participate in minicamp because he's nursing an injury right now. And I don't think it's anything major. It's probably just one of those minor injuries where, yeah, he could play on it, but why, you know, risk further injuring himself in a mini camp practice when we got training camp coming up and we got a month until that. So he can rest up and get healthy for that. Um, and I guess you could tie it into like, you could try to say that like maybe the bears are disappointed that he's not on the field for mini camp or whatever. But again, it's, I, I do think it's injury related and I, and I don't know what, I don't know. It, it seemed like the storyline came off of that and just kind of escalated from there. And that's kind of been something that a lot of bears fans have been discussing over the past week or so. So where do you fall on this Chase Claypool discussion? Because I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'm kind of over it. But, I mean, at the same time, it's like it's the off season. What are you going to do? There's nothing to really dig into here. To be clear with our listeners here, we are not, Andrew and I, we're not backing up or reinforcing or saying we're siding with Sylvie in any way. Sylvie's a great guy done obviously a lot for the Chicago sports media landscape and all that. One of the most respected people out there in Chicago media, but this is an incredibly polarizing conversation to have because from a front office perspective, looking at this thing from the bears perspective, you know, players that go ahead and come down with season ending injuries or just little knickknacks here and there, there have been instances where those guys have been at Hallis hall late in the winter, whether it's like January, February, going into March, getting a chance to rehab and work with the team's trainers and the team's strength and conditioning staff. So from the Bears' perspective, it is frustrating when the facilities are open and, you know, Chase did have an opportunity to go in and get some work done to ensure that he wasn't going to be injured and that these reps are going to be valuable for him. Now, from a Chase Claypool perspective, it is disappointing because you are effectively going into a contract. You you don't really know what your career is going to hold beyond 2023. You are essentially competing in a way with your teammate Darnell Mooney for a big contract extension as well. And so whatever reps you can get are incredibly valuable. Now, we also have to understand that what goes on in OTAs as well as minicamp, a lot of it is just really light work. It's seven on sevens. It's a lot of situational install stuff. So there's not really much that Chase Claypool's missing when guys are literally out there in practice jersey 
and shorts with a helmet on. That's pretty much about it. And so this is one of those where that second round pick that the Bears gave up, does it look like a bad trade right now? You could argue yes and no. And you could argue yes because let's say Joey Porter Jr. pops off and Chase Claypool struggles, just can't find a rhythm, can't find consistency. Then people are going to look at it and say, well, instead of trading for a guy that instead of trading the 32nd overall pick for a guy that was on a one-year deal, you could have gotten an entirely new rookie and molded the guy from day one. That's valid. But then again, it's not bad because it's almost as if the real evaluation doesn't even take place in May and June during OTAs and mandatory minicamp. The real evaluation starts when the Bears report to training camp on Thursday, July 25th, or Tuesday, July 25th, whatever the case may be. And then finally, we also have to understand this, is that the role that Chase is going to play in this offense, it's all essentially to be determined because this is a team that is going to have a vastly different identity from last year. And ultimately, I mean, if we're going to be honest, we also need to keep something in mind is that when the Bears traded for Chase last year in October at the trade deadline, keep in mind that this was a team that had no pass catchers at all. And so the circumstances at that point were that the Bears weren't guaranteed the first overall pick. They were picking seventh or eighth at that point on the draft board. And the other thing was the fact that it made sense to take a gamble on a player like Claypool. What happens after that and going into 2023 is obviously all on the Bears. But when the trade was made, it made sense because it was kind of, what can we do to develop Justin Fields as a passer? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I'll say this, and then we can, I guess we can move on from uh, the Chase Claypool discussion. But, um, you know, I was never a huge fan of the Claypool trade. I felt like they overpaid for a guy where, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers is the best organization in the NFL at evaluating, developing um, wide receivers. You know, and it's one of the things where they, they do a great job in the drafts of identifying talent, bringing that talent in, and then getting the most out of those guys. And so when the Pittsburgh Steelers are willing to, you know, replace a guy and give up on him, that's a red flag to me. So, you know, you know, it's just one of those things where once I saw that Claypool was on the market, I was like, okay, um, clearly the Steelers don't think that he's that type of a guy. So what's missing there? Because you look at Claypool, he's, you know, six foot four, 238, ran like a four, three forty at the, at the combine, you know, had an excellent uh, workout, just freak athlete. 
right? And he was getting a lot of, I thought <laughs> he was getting the nickname of Maple Trump because he's Canadian. So he's he's got the, you know, whole comparisons to Megatron for the size speed combination, which is really unfair because Megatron was a special talent in his own right. But yeah, with that said, I was like, I was never a huge fan of the trade to begin with. But with that said, I don't think, and again, I think they expected to get more out of him last year, even though this was a move clearly for this upcoming season primarily, but look, it comes down to this. Like, we're not going to, like you said, we're not going to like find out, you know, whether Claypool is going to work out here based off of a couple practices in mini camp in June or even in training camp in August. What's going to matter is how does he produce on the football field this year with a better situation with an entire off season um, to, you know, learn the playbook and get a chemistry with uh, Justin Fields at quarterback and to have a, you know, actual role within the offense planned out for him, as opposed to, you know, getting shoved into the offense mid season and then kind of figuring it out from there. Like, no, they have a clear cut plan for him this year and we'll see how he does uh, in that role this year. So he's going into a contract year. This is going to be his first chance to get a big, big uh, second contract here. Um, with the last year of his rookie deal, like, for Claypool, he's got to be intrinsically motivated, you would think, to have his best year. And you would think that he would work his tail off to be the best that he can be this year because of that. You know, if, if he can't do that, then obviously he's not going to be here anyway because he's not going to perform. So I would assume that Claypool, you're going to get, you know, whether he performs on the field or not, that, you know, I, I think I, I think he knows what's at stake here this offseason, this year. And we'll see what happens when we get to the football field. You know, all that matters is, is he available week one? And does he perform, you know, for the entirety of a 17 game season and potentially going into the playoffs? Because the Bears, you know, they they have to choose between him and Mooney, I'm assuming, at wide receiver um, to be that second guy next to DJ Moore, because both those guys are going to the final years of, of their deal. So, yeah, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But it's always fun, obviously, to talk about, all this rumor drama and stuff like that when it's there's just really really nothing going on here but let's talk about stuff that actually happened on the practice field and we weren't there unfortunately to to report anything at practice but zach was there so we we've been able to get some nuggets from him on some of the going-ons at uh bears mini camp last week and I guess we can start off with the offensive line because that's going to be a storyline. I think, you know, throughout this year, you know, the offensive line was a struggle point for the bears last year. Although I think it did play better at times than expected, especially in the run game. But you know, the, the offensive line definitely need a little bit of a shake up going into this off season. And it's gotten, we've talked about the offensive line quite a bit. So it's interesting to hear some of the things that they're kind of doing along that group. Um, what are some of your takeaways from what we're hearing out of uh, minicamp last week? Well, really, you start with the interior and then kind of go ahead, kick it outside. But the interior has looked pretty solid so far because Nate Davis, who, again, had missed OTAs, came back from mandatory minicamp, has settled in really well to right guard. And I know I said this a few weeks ago, but I will repeat it again. The Bears gave Nate Davis the three-year $30 million deal to play right guard because they believe he would be an upgrade over Tevin Jenkins at right guard. And can't diminish Tevin Jenkins' role at all because he is the starting left guard. Cody Whitehair coming back in at center. And so for this Bears team, I mean, it all starts inside out for me. If they can get a solid interior going, it's going to make life of a first and second year offensive tackle much easier. Looking at left tackle, Braxton Jones, certainly a very interesting case study. Now, 
I am not going to sit here and tell you I'm the biggest fan of Braxton Jones. For a fifth-round rookie, he played way past expectations last season. Now the question becomes, what is he going to do to go ahead and continue to develop and really elevate himself? Darno Wright, again, as a rookie, has impressed some, but he's also seen his fair share of struggles. And really for Darnell, more so what this is about is we know what he can do against the best of the best. I mean, he shut down Will Anderson when Alabama and Tennessee faced off against each other in Knoxville. The question for Darnell Wright is, how is he going to continue to adapt when it comes to a lot of these edge rushers that, quite frankly, guys like Terrell Lewis, I believe his name is, linebacker for the Bears, have gotten a bit of the best of him when it comes to going up against Darnell Wright one-on-one in mandatory camp. But this is an OL that... The advantage the Bears have this year, the starting five, is we're going to be entering camp and the next few weeks here knowing who the starting five is, which means that the expectations are ultimately much higher compared to last year because, one, the talent is upgraded. Number two, you have your starting five in place, which means that these guys have to gel together quickly. It's not going to be this musical chair scenario. In terms of depth, there's a couple of young guys like Doug Kramer, Jatiri Carter, those guys, you're just trying to figure out who they are, what their role is along the offensive line. Your veterans, like in Alex Leatherwood, a Larry Borum, the Bears are fortunate to have those guys as some guard and tackle depth too, who, again, those are two players are not going to play significant roles, but they will do will be good enough to at least be serviceable in the event that a guy goes down with an injury. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like you said, like I, I feel like it gets easier to figure out uh, when you go from inside to out with this team. And what I mean by that is that, like, you know, or I should say the opposite, where it kind of gets difficult to figure out when we go inside to out. Because on the outside, we know what it's going to be. We know it's going to be Braxton Jones and Darnell Wright. And whether those two end up living up to expectations or not, um, remains to be seen but the interior is where i think it gets fascinating because the bears can still go a lot of different directions and i think you know their philosophy of valuing versatility in the interior is really striking because you got and we talked about last week how white white hair and patrick it seems like they're splitting snaps at center Uh, we know that shatari carter's been getting snaps at center Um, but we know that nate davis at right guard and seven jenks at left guard that's probably going to be the thing um, for this unit and that really when you think about it it makes the interior of the bears offensive line a strength for this unit because you know nate davis is a good solid starting guard tevin jenkins you know he, he struggles with staying on the field and injuries but when he's on the field uh the, the dude's a mauler out there especially in the run game he just gets after it so at left guard you know that's going to be something to watch out for and then white hair you know say what you want about him but i think he's still an average starter at the center position going into this year, um, despite, you know, being on the downside of his career and being a little bit overpaid, he's still a solid starter. So the interior of this line, I think is a legitimate strength of this offense as a whole. And I think they should be able to keep Justin Fields clean in the interior of the pocket. Um, it's where you get to the tackle where I do think there are some question marks because Braxton Jones, can he take another leap in year two? And yeah, he was good for a fifth round rookie last year. Um, you know, especially as a run blocker, but the pass protection, it, it's, it's not quite there yet. And he's got to get better at that to be 
for me to feel comfortable for him as a long-term blindside protector option. John all right, you like the pass blocking that it brings to the table, but we've seen plenty of time where these rookie tackles, you know, get into the league and they start right away and they struggle. Um, and that's, you know, it's not a slight against Darnell Wright, you know, but it's just a reality of the NFL. You know, you're going from playing college edge rushers to NFL edge rushers where, you know, we talked to, you know, you talked about many proponents of, of Wright would say that, you know, while he shut down a lot of big name edge rushers like Will Anderson in, in college and, you know, he went up against a lot of good pass rushers in college and did a nice job against them. Well, well, here's the thing. Like you're going up against guys that are better than those guys. Like Will Anderson's a great pass rusher at the college level. There are a ton of edge rushers that are going to be much better than Will Anderson that Donald Rice can be playing on a weekly basis in the NFL. It's just the nature of the beast, right? So, you know, it's it's good. There are going to be some lumps that he's going to take. You'd think his rookie year. And if he can be like Tristan Wirfs or he is a all pro caliber right tackle out of the gate, like, all right, we're, we're in we're all good in this offensive lineup because you can figure it out from there. If you got, you know, a stud tackle for you on either left or right tackle, but I mean, we're really not going to find that out though until the game start, because there's only so much that you can figure out when they're not wearing pads. So I think that's the biggest thing for the offensive line. You know, we just don't know until the games really start for this group. And we, we didn't really know last year. And that's going to be the same thing that holds this year for it. But, you know, speaking of Darnell Wright, that kind of leads into the next part of this, is which is where, you know, we finally get to see the 2023 draft class get some meaningful reps with the rest of the team here. And I, I'll say that the rookie class so far, it seems like they have made an impression. We talked about right here. But you look at their second-round picks and Dexter and Stevenson, both of those guys have um, – it, it sounds like have flashed in these practices and even going on to like day three. Um, so these day three picks, Tyler Scott's made a couple plays at wide receiver and we've heard some good things about uh, Noah Sewell at linebackers. So what do you make of this rookie class and you know, how they perform so far in uh minicamp? This rookie class has impressed so far. Let's just break all of this down now. Earlier during rookie minicamp as well as OTAs, Roshan Johnson was the one kind of taking the cake as well as Tyreek Stevenson. The headlines out of Howell's Hall when it came to mandatory camp were we didn't really hear much about the running backs. Tyreek Stevenson continued to build on what he did in OTAs as well as rookie camp really just continues to impress the coaching staff. Again, Tyler Scott's a guy who's made a handful of nice plays on guys like Kendall Wildor. He is one of the most interesting case studies for this team going into this year because you know your wide receivers one, two, and three are Moore, Mooney, and Claypool, and two and three in no particular order because those are spots that are up for grabs. Wide receiver four is where it gets interesting. You could easily see guys like Equinemius St. Brown, Dante Pettis fitting in. Those are really limited role players and veterans. Tyler Scott, the opportunity to play wide receiver four is definitely up for grabs. And then everyone's favorite wide receiver on the roster, Valus Jones Jr., third round pick last year, has kind of struggled throughout minicamp to really find his identity and his role, which again, we said this last year and we'll just say it again about 14 months later, the comparisons to Debo Samuel and calling him Debo Samuel light were vastly overrated so my hope is by now anyone who's advocating for Felix Jones being Debo Samuel 2.0 we can completely toss those out the window at best 
a guy like Tyler Scott makes this roster as a result of his return ability on special teams. And as the season progresses, he works his way into gaining some meaningful reps on offense. You talked about the defensive tackles. Jerron Dexter from Florida is the guy that we've heard more about compared to Zach Pickens from South Carolina. Those two are going to feed into a bigger picture in terms of the rotation that the Bears are going to have along the defensive line and more specifically the interior because the Bears do have some talent with guys like Justin Jones, Demarcus Walker. My personal favorite, though, has probably been Noah Sewell because his first things first, he's the brother of Lions left tackle Panay Sewell. But Noah Sewell is this incredible athlete, incredibly freakish. I mean, he can play pretty much any linebacker spot. The thing with him is it's kind of what this coaching staff feels like he's going to fit into. And he had a handful of nice plays during minicamp. Now, the greater discussion here regarding Noah Sewell becomes why is kind of that linebacker spot up for grabs alongside Edmonds as well as TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds? Because Jack Sanborn did a good job last year, but and I understand Jack Sanborn's a local guy. He's a fan favorite. But if we're going to be honest about something, this is a team that had no talent at the little no talent at the linebacker position last year. And so when guys like Nick Morrow and Matt Adams, Joe Thomas got injured, Jack Sanborn comes in and makes the most of his opportunity. But people are also forgetting that this is a new year. It's a completely different team. So that training camp battle of Sanborn versus Noah Sewell is going to be interesting to watch. And right now, I'd give the upper hand to Noah Sewell, specifically because he has been fully healthy, whereas Sanborn's been at Hallis Hall and just rehabbing the uh, ankle injury. Yeah, it's all it's all about competition, right? Because the whole purpose of tearing down this roster was to build it back up so you have depth at every single spot and you have legitimate competition to where um, you feel good about that if one guy goes down with an injury or something, that you have a quality player that can step in and fill in that role. And so, you know, the fact that we're getting that competition there um, at that linebacker spot, you know, obviously Edmonds and Edwards are going to be the guys for your starting linebackers. And I don't, and guys, I don't buy into that, like four, three, three, four, not so like, you know, no nickel is the new base in today's NFL. So four two alignments are what it's all about in today's NFL um, for the most part. So you have two linebacker starters, you know, who's going to be that third guy for occasional three linebacker sets. So yeah, it's going to be interesting between Sewell and um, Sanborn. But I, the, the biggest takeaway for me um, in regards to this rookie class has to be uh, what I'm hearing about Dexter. And specifically, uh, Dexter's get-off, it sounds like from a lot of the, the beat reporters that have been able to watch practices, they say that they're saying to me, or not saying to me specifically, but they're saying when you just look at what they're saying on Twitter, what they're reporting on Twitter, that Dexter's get off, which was the main issue for me with that draft pick. I felt like, you know, it was so consistently bad that like, there's gotta be like something missing there with him. It sounds like that's, you know, it sounds like something that's been a little bit fixed and it sounds like, you know, he, he started to, and again, offensive linemen are, in, are not in pads. So take everything with offensive line, defensive line play with a grain of salt uh, in these early workouts, but it sounds like he's had, you know, some nice flashes here in practice. So that is encouraging to hear because I, I think that Dexter, he's such a physically talented player that if you can fix such a, you know, 
fundamental issue like just reacting to when the snap is when the, when the ball is snapped if you can just fix something minor like that that you could have a really uh impactful player on your hands here um and so that's encouraging to hear that um that's happening but um yeah you look at the offensive side of things uh and we're not going to hear too much i'm sure about roshan johnson because running backs there's only so much you can um, find out from these practices, but it's good to hear that Tyler Scott, you know, he was billed to be a deep threat coming out of Cincinnati and lo and behold, it sounds like he's a deep threat in the NFL as well, at least from what we are hearing at practice. Um, but this kind of leads into the whole discussion of the bears wide receiver room in general. Now that, you know, DJ Moore's mad. And we've talked about the connection between DJ Moore and Justin Fields and how that can benefit Justin Fields. But I think another storyline to kind of touch on here is, how does that impact the Bears offense as a whole from a philosophical standpoint? Because last year, you know, it was pretty clear that the Bears, what they wanted to do last year is that they knew they didn't have the talent on the outside to win a lot of one-on-one matchups. They weren't very explosive on the outside. So uh, they went to last year with a philosophy of they're going to run the ball a lot. It's it's not going to be pretty at times. And they're going to lean on their run game and also to protect their offensive line a little bit, which struggled in pass protection. So they were going to run the ball a lot last year. And it was frustrating to watch at times because you're wondering like, okay, when are they going to like let it loose and actually like try to like win games through the air here instead of just playing it safe and just, you know, doing three three yards and a cloud of dust dust offense all the time. Um so it, it sounds like you know from what Ibrahim has been saying is that, you know, last year they focused a lot in practices on the running game to get that correct. And this year they're having much more of an emphasis on practicing the passing game. And I wonder if that has to do with just their philosophy changing as a whole to become more pass happy. What do you think you said? Do you think the addition of more kind of changes things to where they are going to lean on that passing game a little bit more? Or do you think that they might stay more similar than we think? It is the answer is yes and no in terms of when you add a dynamic playmaker like a DJ Moore, who again is one of the more underrated wide receivers in the NFL, you are going to go ahead and get really excited about what he's able to do in terms of being able to elevate the passing game. Now, for Justin Fields, adding DJ Moore's built about building around him, giving Justin that legitimate wide receiver one that this team has lacked in the passing game. But in terms of offensive philosophy, it's so key to understand what's happening here is this. And we're not diminishing the importance of running the ball. The Bears are going to have a phenomenal running game in 2023. But this is a team where situationally, when we go back and look at last year, there were so many instances where the Bears needed to essentially complete passes in situations to keep drives alive, keep the chain moving. And more often than not, it was Justin Fields on the ground with his legs bailing this team out this year. It's a completely different philosophy because it is more so more than anything. Hey, in the passing game, can we go ahead and make the right place? Look at the pieces that the bears have around DJ Moore too. DJ Moore is the vertical threat for this team. He's going to stretch defenses on the second and third level and really force them to account for the deep ball every single time. Now, underneath, you have these guys like a Cole Komet and a Darnell Mooney who are going to get involved in the short and intermediate passing game, which will essentially not be checkdowns, but just these short, easy kind of give me throws for a quarterback like Justin Fields. So this Bears offense 
And again, I don't have access to the playbook or any of that, but when we start getting some film with DJ Moore out there on the field, we start seeing what this team is able to do come the regular season. My guess is that the quarterback progressions are going to go a high to low in terms of Justin Fields always having more be the number one option and then if the defense has got more completely covered then what's happening is this is you are more so going ahead and saying okay who are the lower options in the sense that you know is a darnell mooney open is a cole Komet open how about a guy like chase claypool and then as always as a last resort considering the versatility that this offense has in the running back room you will see a guy like a roshan johnson or Khalil herbert more so get involved in the passing game with super short and sweet routes like an arrow route or a swing or a wheel route. Yeah, I do think you have a very nice complimentary um, set of skill sets here at the wide receiver room because DJ Moore, he's a true number one, right? He can play all over the place. He's got deep threat ability. He's got yards after the catch ability. He's very good in the intermediate part of the field in terms of getting open. And you can play him on the outside. You can play him on the inside. Um, You can do a lot of things with DJ Moore, and that's going to really, I think, help Getsy in this offense in terms of formulating a coherent passing attack. Because last year, it seems like he they really did not know how to put together a consistent, you know, passing offense to kind of complement off of the run game. And this year, I think you can do a lot more um, with a guy like D.J. Moore who can get open in all three areas of the field. Now, I think Darnell Mooney is a perfect complement to Moore as well because he's a guy who is versatile – and the way you can align him as well. You can line him in a slot. You can align him on the outside. And he's got that speed to be a deep threat, but he's also shifty enough to where um, he can run routes and get open in the intermediate part of the field as well. So, again, you have two wide receivers that are versatile and flexible that can get open at all three areas of the field. Now, DJ Morris brings more of a size component than um, Mooney does, obviously. Mooney's on the smaller side for wide receivers, but it, it can still work that way either way. And then Claypool is kind of like the a pure outside receiver who's going to add some as a blocker in this offense, I think, on the outside. And he's just a big guy on the outside. You're going to run goal balls with him. You're going to run uh, deep digs with him. Uh, maybe get the ball on the screen once in a while to use his size and um, use him for jump ball situations. Like he, he's purely there just to add, add that, you know, outside physical dimension to this offense that – um, they don't really necessarily have with any of their other wide receivers. And then, you know, behind those guys like Tyler Scott, he's another deep threat specialist, I think, who can get open in the intermediate part of the field as well. Vils Jones, he's a gadget guy. Equinamus St. Brown is kind of like that blocker outside receiver who can kind of play the Claypool role a little bit, although not probably not as good. So in terms of like the actual receiving core, it's a well-rounded receiving room. Then you add like the tight ends, right? Like, Cole Komet, he's your traditional inline guy. He's not too explosive. He's not going to take the top off of the defense in the seam. He's not necessarily good at getting open by himself in one-on-one coverage, but he can sit down in the soft areas of the zone. He's pretty solid after the catch. He can pick up tough yards, break some tackles. He's pretty sure-handed for the most part. Like, he's fine, right? He's fine in the receiving game, and he can benefit off of these other guys who put more pressure on defenses um, deep down the field who stretch the field vertically and horizontally. And then you got Robert Tunyon in there. Who's a more of that flex tight end. 
Um, he does have more ability to stretch the field in the seam. He does more ability, have more ability to get open against one-on-one coverage and to make tough contested catches in traffic and whatnot. So um, more of that receiving type, whereas Cool Komet is more of that traditional type. If there's anything that this team I think is missing from a receiving standpoint is that a true running back out of the backfield that can cast pa- catch passes and um, run routes and, and get open and be kind of a threat after the catch. Like I think they're missing that type of player like Tariq Cohen in this offense right now would be so much fun because you have all these speedy playmakers on the outside. You have all these actions going around with the play action stuff and having to play off of Justin Fields' um, rushing ability. And I just feel like that type of player would be perfect for this offense to have kind of like that guy who can just take advantage of one-on-one matchups against linebackers, get yards after the catch, you know, take advantage on screen passes, um, it, it's a shame that uh, Tariq Cohen, you know, uh, injuries kind of, you know, took away his his career basically because he would have been such a fun player in this style of an offense. But you know, with that said, I, I think that the, if there's anything that this offense is missing, it's that component because they got everything else I think pretty much covered. It's just a matter of can Justin Fields take that next step and really put it all together. And also, is Getsy going to lean into the strength of these of this passing game? Um, because last year I was not a, a particular fan of his play calling for large stretches of last se- last season. And, you know, is he going to be, and I know the foundation of this offense is going to be the run game. So I, I don't think they're going to go just completely flip the script and go pass heavy, but you know, are they going to lean into the passing game more this year? I think it's going to be a big thing for me because, you know, when you look back at Gutsy's days in Green Bay, when Aaron Rodgers was there, they were a pass first team for the most part, who then could, once they got the lead, could just pound the rock down your throat with that running game and on all the running backs they had in that offensive line and all that stuff. You know, are, are they going to have that formula or are they going to have the formula that they did last year where they use passing as like a last resort, basically? And I hope it's the, the former and not the latter, because if it's the former, now you have a recipe, I think, to have a very good offense if Justin Fields is what we think he is. Um, and in order to do that, I mean, they're going to have to get contributions from their 2022 draft class as well. Like we talked about Vilas Jones and what his role is going to be in this offense. Like Braxton Jones, you know, what step does he take uh, going into uh, his second year on, on the roster. And then even like guys like Jatari Carter, like can he be a solid like depth piece for this offensive line um, as a six round pick? So when we look at the 2022 class, you know, which player of this, of this class is, you know, what, what are some of the expectations that you have for this group of players and who's the player that you're most excited about watching this year? You say, well, the expectation is that the two second round picks go ahead and that's Kyle Gordon, Jaquan Brisker. They essentially become household names and just take a massive step forward. Now, for me, I mean, and I have a breakout bear series going on bearreport.com. For those of you guys that are interested in reading, just looking at a lot of the second and third year guys, it's the most exciting name is easily Jaquan Brisker because look at how the Bears used Jaquan Brisker last year. He led the team in sacks, which means that Alan Williams and Matt Eberflus are clearly confident in him coming off the edge. But Jaquan's responsibilities also expanded to continue to cover some of the tight ends as well as bigger wide receivers in the slot, which, again, just really speaks to how physical he is and how versatile he can be. He makes the back end of that defense and the rest of the secondary more expendable than a lot of people want to go ahead and lead on simply because Jaquan gives you the opportunity to kind of play 
true a true nickel based defense. And what I mean by that is you have your five DBs. He's coming up and he is um covering some of these tight ends. He can also blitz off the edge like a linebacker. And then the physicality that he brings to the table is among the best at his position for all the safeties that were selected last year, which I believe ahead of Jaquan, there were six or seven safeties selected. And let's be real, there's that run on wide receivers in the back end of round one in 2022, as well as kind of the top half of round two. So had that run on receivers not been there, it's likely Jaquan's not even a Bears uniform at this point. And then just the leadership that he brings to the table, there's a quiet confidence that he tends to play with. And he knows where he has to continue to get better. So we talk all the time about players that are going to break out, players that are going to take the next step. Jaquan is, without a doubt, for the Bears, the top player to watch that's not named Justin Fields. And then another guy to continue watching who's really kind of had some rough stretches as a rookie would be Kyler Gordon. But this year, it seems like the Bears' plans for him are to just play him in that slot cornerback spot, which means that he's not going to be shuffling inside to outside. Part of that is also the addition of Tyreek Stevenson, but look for big things from Kyler Gordon this year too. Yeah, I'll say for Kyler Gordon, like I think the thing that's going to help him is that they can just put him in the slot this year in the nickel and just have him focus on that. Because last year, the big storyline with him is that they were going to have him work on being both an outside corner and a nickel corner. And when you're putting that much on a player's play as a rookie, especially a cornerback, where it is really it's 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 difficult enough to be an outside corner, but when you have to learn how to be an outside corner and be a nickel corner at the same time, like that is just I feel like that's almost impossible for a young player to handle that and be effective in in that role where you have to learn multiple positions. So. You know, you bring in Tyreek Stevenson, who can be that outside corner. You have Jalen Johnson already in the roster. Now, Kyler Gordon only has to focus on is being the best nickel corner that he can be, which I honestly think is the best role for him in the NFL anyway, because he doesn't really have the long speed to really work at outside corner at outside corner in this system. Like he's he's better off in that nickel where he can kind of use his tackling ability um, in the run game, use his zone instinct, use his quickness, use his um, you know agility and be an effective player there. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what step that Kyler Gordy can take now that, you know, he, he has his role reduced a little bit. And I think he has, cause he has the ability to make it work. You know, when it comes to those two second round picks last year, it's funny because I was actually more critical of the Brisker pick, but you know, the way that they handled Brisker made a lot more sense than the way they handled Gordon last year. And it felt like they really did not know what to do with Gordon. They kind of just played him all over the place. And uh, if they can put together a sufficient plan for how to use Gordon correctly, I feel like he's a guy that can take a a nice step forward because I feel like we both feel pretty confident that Brisker is going to be a good starter for this team for a long time. Very Adrian Amos-esque in terms of the way he plays the game. So you, you feel like you know what you got there. We really don't know what we have in Kyler Gordon yet, though. So he's probably the player that I'm most interested in looking forward to. Uh, watching his development because if he can take a step forward, that's going to be huge for the secondary. Cause you're looking at the secondary. That's like the one area where I think that could be a weakness for uh, this unit going forward into the next season. So if Kyler Gordon takes that step forward and that's no longer a weakness, then you're looking at a really well-rounded uh, defensive back group with the linebackers you have as well. Um, 
the coverage unit for this team should be a strength of the defense as a whole. And speaking of the linebackers unit, that kind of gets us into the free agent signs from this past offseason because the Bears, you know, they did make some pretty significant additions to this group. And, you know, we've heard some good things about a lot of these guys and some of the plays that they're making at minicamp. So I'll, I'll ask the same thing. What are some of the expectations for this free agent class? And who's the player that you're most excited watching forward uh, going into this upcoming season? The expectations for this free agent class are to come in and be contributors from day one because most of these guys, this is their second contract in the league in terms of they're all relatively coming off of rookie deals or this, and I guess DeMarcus Walker's case could even be his third contract because he's kind of bounced around a couple different places. Now, what it comes down to ultimately is this, is that it's like, go back to Nate Davis for a second bringing Tremaine Edmonds. The Bears brought these guys in because they believed a handful of things. Number one, they were the right guys to continue building the culture that this regime wants. Number two, they f- coaching staff and front office felt as if these guys were the right fits in terms of the on-field product that the Bears are trying to put onto the field. Number three, there was a level of versatility that both of these guys provided. Now, the one player who's got the most to prove is easily Tremaine Edmonds. And he is the easiest pick because he was the big fish that the Bears signed in free agency. Signing to like a, I believe he signed, it was like a four-year deal worth $72 million with, I think it was like 50-ish million dollars in guaranteed money. But that is such a significant signing because if we're going to be quite honest for all the people who complained at the time of the signing in terms of, Hey, why would you go ahead and sign Tremaine Edmonds to a big deal, but not necessarily Roquan Smith. I mean, I remember scouting both of these guys when they were coming out of Georgia and Virginia tech in 2018. And that draft, there were legitimate questions about who was going to have the better NFL career. Now the easy answer was clearly Roquan Smith at the time, simply because Roquan Roquan was in his early 20s, whereas Edmonds was just 19 or 20 years old. But it is also really key to understand the athleticism, the length, the versatility, the measurables that a guy such as Tremaine Edmonds brings to the table make him just a much more pure fit for the 4-3 that the Bears are running compared to a guy like Roquan Smith, who, again, had all the size, speed, and agility needed to go ahead and play in this defense. But if we're going to be honest... Roquan Smith was a better fit for the Bears when they drafted him under Vic Fangio's 3-4 defense because he was kind of that Patrick Willis 2.0 clone. And now we're seeing Tremaine Edmonds is kind of like your Jack Leonard in this defense. So the guy that's got the most proof because he signed a big deal and is incredibly young is without a doubt Tremaine Edmonds. But perhaps I think the most underrated free agent signing is going to be DeMarcus Walker simply because he can play both nose tackle and defensive end in this defense. He brings a certain level of versatility to the table where I know I complained at the time about the DeMarcus Walker signing because I'm like, why would you be giving this guy $7 million a year? Especially knowing that he is going to be the type of player where he's not necessarily a guy that's going to make an impact. But just seeing the way that he settled in completely, you know what? There's a very real chance that DeMarcus Walker has an incredibly productive year and ends up being one of the top free agent signings in terms of just bargain deals because he has a very real chance to kind of burst onto the scene the way that 
Akeem Hicks burst onto the scene for this team in 2016. So there's a real chance we're looking at a Demarcus Walker breakout season. Yeah, Walker, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him because he was actually most effective as an interior rusher last year, but I know he's going to play some edge as well. So they, they see him as more as an, as an edge rusher or an interior rusher. I think it's going to be kind of the key thing to watch out for Walker is how they use him because, again, they don't have a true edge rusher that can win one-on-one matchups against tackles at a consistent basis. So are they going to force – you know, Walker to be that guy, or are they going to actually use him correctly and have him be kind of that, you know, early down run defender on the edge and then kick inside to rush the passer, rush the passer on third downs, or do they see him as just an edge rusher? So uh, that's going to be very curious to see what they, what they do with that there. But I think, I think the uh, most interesting thing for me is Edmonds. Um, you know, what type, what Tremaine Edmonds are we going to be seeing? This year, because last year, if you actually look at how he played last year in his contract here at the Bills, it's kind of an outlier compared to the rest of his career. And if you if you were talking to me about Edmonds uh, at this time last year, you know, the conversation around Edmonds was that he was considered closer to a first round bust than he was, you know, a guy who would be getting a huge, massive contract um, in free agency the following year. But he had a fantastic year last year. He's one of the best linebackers in football. So. Was it a case where did he put it all together finally as a younger player coming out of college and this was finally him breaking out? Or was this just a flash in the pan season um, where he played well on a contract year on a loaded defense with a lot of great players around him? And, you know, it's it just like a one-year thing to where he's going to be disappointing on his second contract. And this is going to be the year I think it's going to be really telling because Eberflus, he does a great job with coaching up linebackers. He gets the most out of these guys. I mean, you look at what uh, a lot of these guys performed last year in this defense, like the linebackers was actually kind of a strength for this defense last year. And there's a bunch of no-name guys. You know, you talk about Sanborn, you know, impressing last year as, a, as an undrafted free agent. Well, part of that was, you know, they, they got contributions from a lot of guys that, you know, play pretty well that aren't on the roster this year. So, you know, they're, they're clearly, clearly Eberflus values physical traits. He values guys that are big, long, strong, and fast. And Edmonds, he's like the perfect, you know, physical embodiment of what Eberflus wants at the linebacker position. So this is like a dream come true, I think, for Eberflus in terms of getting a linebacker like Edmonds in the building and coaching him up to see what he can do with him. You know, Edmonds, I, I, I'm intrigued to see what, happens with him because I think he does have the ability in this system and this scheme to be one of the elite linebackers in the game, if he can put it all together. Um, and that's going to be the one thing that is going to be kind of a, I guess like the turning point for this defense. Cause we know the pass rush, the defensive line is not going to be good. It is what it is there, but they can have an elite coverage unit. If Tremaine Edmonds is that type of a dude um, at linebacker this year. So if he is that guy, like, this coverage unit could be really special for the Bears secondary. So he he's really the determining factor here. If he's great, then this this Bears defense can overachieve this year um, with him as kind of like the linchpin of this defense as a whole. So I think it's kind of the main thing for me when you look at this free agent class. Like, I think I know what I'm getting on Nate Davis on the offensive line. I feel pretty confident there. Deontay Foreman, I feel like I know what I'm getting out of him at running back. Um, we talk about some of the defensive line additions that they, uh, that they made, like Billings. I know what he is as a player. Um, 
you know, Rasheem Green's all right as a rotational guy, but I think Edmonds, he's really the key piece here. And if he's a, if he lives up to the contract that they gave him, um, that's going to be huge for this defense uh, for not only this year, but for the years coming afterwards um, for down the road when this team is a little bit better and more in a position to compete for a championship as opposed to just taking a step forward here um, out of the basement of the NFL. But, you know, with that said, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here today at Pixar Polls. We went over a lot of stuff in, in regards to minicamp here, but now we're officially on to, you know, bear summer break here. Um, it's it's going to be the off season for sure. And um, we have about a month away until the start of training camp. So looking forward to that. But, um, you know, until that, uh, it's going to be a lot of draft stuff coming up for us here at Pixar Polls you know, previewing this 2024 class heading into this upcoming college season. Um, but for all of our listeners out there, make sure to give us a like rate, subscribe to all, to all of our, all of our podcasting platforms for the bear report and blue wire pods. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media on Twitter at picks for polls on Twitter. And as for you said, uh, how where can the listeners find you on Twitter and find you uh, find your work in general? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Coach. You'll check out my work on the Bear Report website. I'll have articles dropping throughout the next couple of weeks here about the state of the Bears roster and players to keep an eye on. Absolutely. As for me, you can find my work on the Bear Report as well. You can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman25. And until next time, Bears fans, have yourself a great weekend, great rest of your week, and bear down. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.